welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Well, a warm good morning to you on this Pentecost Sunday. Uh, It's great to see people wearing red. It's great to see the red in the sanctuary. The reminder of the the color of the flames when you think of the, the fire of the Holy Spirit falling on the disciples for the birth of the church. Welcome again to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Father Morgan Reed. I'm the vicar here. And I'm just so glad to be worshiping with you inside here on this Pentecost Sunday morning. And I know Father uh, Father Ryan's especially grateful to be worshiping inside. Yeah. (laughs) Well, let me pray for us as we begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Spirit, come. Speak to your servants. Cleanse us so that we might hear clearly from you this morning. Amen. As I was thinking about this morning and the themes of Pentecost Sunday, I was thinking about something uh, from, from growing up. And it's that new problems that occur require new solutions. New problems require new solutions. So when I was growing up, I can only remember maybe one project where... Uh, I, I got to use a belt sander. I don't know if any of you have used a belt sander before. It's pretty cool. I was like 18 or 19, and I was helping uh, build tables with somebody who knew what they were doing uh, for a restaurant that I'd be a busboy at later. And um, before that, you know, I'd help my dad with occasional woodworking projects at home, and, and it was always using like a regular handsaw or, or just regular sandpaper um, because my contributions to whatever small projects I were working on were pretty tiny. They weren't a, a massive contribution, as you can imagine. But, you know, uh, as, as things get bigger, uh, projects get bigger. We need bigger tools. And so now that we've been doing projects in our own home, uh, I can't just get along with a handsaw and a piece of sandpaper anymore because the problems are bigger. And so the solutions need to be bigger. Uh, we had taken some cabinet doors off uh, part of our basement and um, and I needed to repurpose those cabinet doors for something else. And so if I had used like a regular saw on that, it would have looked really ugly and it would have taken days uh, with a, just that and a piece of sandpaper. So fortunately, people came up with two really amazing inventions. One is a sawzall. The other one is an orbital sander, both of which are really fun to use and very helpful in doing this project. And so those, those projects, which would have taken me days, uh, look better now because of those tools, and they only took me hours rather than days. So the growth in complexity isn't just true when we talk about home projects, but as we grow, uh, complexity grows in other areas as well. I was thinking about the other day, our son was very sweet. He, he got a little bonk on his head, and, and he came over to me, and he said, Daddy bonk, you know, and I know what's going on, and so uh, I know how to solve that problem. It's, it's really easy. Uh, I just have to kiss it, and it feels better. That's exactly what he needs. Um, I, I didn't really know that I had the gift of healing until I became a parent, <laughs> but apparently I do. Um, and, and so, you know, don't you miss those days 
where things could be solved with just a kiss on the boo-boo, and they would just go away. But our injuries get worse as our bodies get older, of course, uh, and relational wounds get deeper as time goes on, and there are ripple effects sometimes of those relational wounds that get out into other bigger spheres uh, in our professional lives as well. And as our independence increases, then so does our responsibility to do things like pay back debts, um, to make sure our households are fed and clothed. I remember, you know, discovering adulting when I had to make dinner every night uh, and that our children, you know, need to, to have what they need to succeed. Um, life gets just more and more and more complex as time goes on. And we work hard to find new complex solutions to address the ever-growing complex problems. That's a good thing. So it's helpful then to think of the church as an ever-growing body of complexity. The church is called a body, just like what Ashley read in 1 Corinthians 12 this morning. And, And it's called a body that's supposed to grow into full maturity, into the head, which is Christ. So you can think of the church like this living, growing organism. It's growing over time. And I don't just mean growing numerically, like expanding or getting larger. What I mean is it's growing in maturity over time. And as the church grows and as it ages, um, the problems of this world are going to grow more and more complex with it. And so what we're doing in the church is constantly trying to adapt uh, to how to address those problems that we face. There are complicated problems that we face now that we didn't 10 years ago. And so we're ever growing in our response to those things. And if you think back, you can just think back to Christian history itself. When you read some of the earliest writings of, of early Christians, a lot of their appeals are uh, more broadly focused on opposing Judaism. Why is this way of following Jesus opposed to not following Jesus within Judaism? And then as the church becomes more Gentile-filled, you're going to have more and more writings against Hellenism or paganism. So it's adapting to new problems. And then the empire becomes Christian, and there are new problems. And so what you find by the 4th and 5th centuries, instead of a ton of works against Hellenism and paganism, though you do have those, you find a lot against mediocrity, against complacency, and against wealth. And so the church is ever growing in its ability to address the complex problems the world is going to uh, um, grow in. The systems of the world are not going to stop growing more and more complex. There's never a day where we finally got it. And there won't be a day where the world finally gets it. You know? But neither will the church um, lose its ability to address those ever-growing complicated issues. New problems require new solutions, and those new solutions are going to be intimately tied to the church's vision and contemplation of the work of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is infinitely creative. And I think what we discover in our gospel passage today is that when Jesus goes away to be with the Father, he sends the church, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, again, is infinitely creative. He is the creator, the creative spirit. And in fact, I was thinking back, it's my five years ago on Pentecost, I was ordained a priest. And thinking about that time, there's a point in the liturgy for ordinations where the uh, priest-to-be is invited to lay face down, prostrate on the ground, while the church sings a hymn 
uh, over that moment. It's a, the, the hymn is a prayer for the renewal of the church. It's called Veni Creator Spiritus. And, and it says this in the first two stanzas. Come, Holy Ghost, our souls inspire. Enlighten with celestial fire. Thou the anointing spirit art, who dost thy sevenfold gifts impart. Thy blessed unction from above is comfort, life, and fire of love. Enable with perpetual light the dullness of our blinded sight. So as those who are now in the church, in the body of Christ, those who have the Holy Spirit indwelling them, you and I then carry on that ministry that the apostles had in doing the works of Christ. When you ask where the works of Christ are present, they are present in the works of the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what we learn from the gospel today is that doing those works of Christ involves abiding in Christ. It involves believing in Christ. And it involves relying on the help of the Holy Spirit. The whole dialogue that's in the gospel today begins with a question from one of the disciples. They'd been watching Jesus do miracles. And it's come to a point in the gospel where um, they're asking the question, well, Jesus, what happens when you go away? I mean, do those works that you started just all of a sudden stop? And even if they didn't vocalize it, you know it's what's in the back of their minds. What are we supposed to make about the kingdom that Jesus has been preaching about if he goes away? And so Jesus has told them that he's going to leave. But he's told them that he's going to prepare a place for them. And that he's going to show them how to get, uh, show them the way to the Father. And in fact, what he claims is that he is the way to the Father. One of the disciples, just before the passage we read today, is Thomas. And he asked this question. He says, Lord, we don't know the way. Uh, We don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And so Jesus answers that he is the way um, and the truth and the life. And, and And if the disciples would know Jesus, then they would know the Father. And there, it's a similar question that Philip is asking in this text. Slight emphasis change. But, but the question that Philip, it's an implied question. It's really a statement. What he's telling Jesus is, hey, if you would just show us the Father, I mean, that would be good enough. Uh, we would all be fine. We would, we would have complete confidence if you would just show us the Father. That would be sufficient. Um, and you can see the disciples kind of looking around like, did he really say that? Uh, you know, and, and they're sort of looking sheepishly. But I can imagine in my mind's eye that they're slightly nodding, awkwardly agreeing. Yeah, you know, if you would just show us the Father, we'd be fine. Uh, there was probably a lot of fear in the room because Jesus has just told them that he's going to go away. And they're trying to figure out all the implications of that. And Thomas and Philip then are just giving voice to all the fears that the other disciples have as well. It's nice to have certainty, isn't it? It's really nice to know where you're going or what the goal is or what it's going to look like before you get there. If God would just rend the heavens and come down, give me a vision of himself, man, then then I'd have confidence to actually do those things that he's called me to do or the decisions that I need to make. If only I had a vision of God or a voice that just said, yeah, now you can go do this. It's also really exhausting to think that I can't move without a vision like that, too. But, you know, that would be really nice to have that kind of certainty. And and that obviously is not how things go for you and I. 
But loving God is actually an act of grace that starts in God himself. And then it's fleshed out as you and I do the work of choosing to follow Jesus into all those different places that he calls us to that feel less than certain, that feel really unclear. And we see his love in those spaces. Jesus says to the disciples that if they believe in him, uh, and by believing here, you can think of it as uh, trusting him. You can think of it as finding rest in him. That if, if they believe in him, then they would do greater works than Jesus did. It doesn't mean that the miracles that they perform are going to be more miraculous somehow than the, the miracles that Jesus did. But uh, what it does mean is that the things that Jesus did are only the beginning of the works that Jesus is going to continue to do in and through the church. The miraculous works that are greater than the apostles are going to do are greater because Jesus' works are only the beginning of the works that he wants to do in and through the church. And as the disciples carry on the works of Jesus, there's greater and greater glorification of the Father. And it's a bit like, I was thinking about it like this, it's a bit like the fear that you get when you step into a new job and you're being trained up by a, a boss who you know is kind of on the cusp of retirement, but maybe they haven't said it. Um, everything is going to be left on your shoulders and you know that you're not ready for that. Um, and, and the retirement's coming. You're fearful of what that handoff is going to look like. Are people going to leave? There's a, you know, are people going to discover how not equipped I am for this position. And uh, that's the kind of fear that they're feeling as well. You know, if only, if only Jesus had left them an operations manual. How do you do this? A blueprint of, if only Jesus had left them a strategic plan that they could follow. Um, But actually he did. And that's why he goes. Because that's who the Holy Spirit is. If you want to know what the strategic plan is for the church... Follow the Holy Spirit. The apostles were to carry on the work of Christ. And you and I are to carry on the work of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. The work of the church, the continuing works of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit. These things are all interwoven into this divine tapestry. They can't be separated out from one another. The work of the church, the continuing works of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says to the disciples that he's going to ask the Father, and then he's going to give them another helper who's going to be with them forever. The Holy Spirit, then, is the great comforter. That's what the idea of a helper is. He's the great comforter who's going to lead the church into the truth, and he keeps the church close to God, distinguishing it from the world. The power of Christ's victory is made plain in the Holy Spirit, who assists the church as the church continues to move into ever-growing, ever-complicated, uh, ever-growing complicated realities. So when you think back to the Holy Spirit, and you think back in the Old Testament, he's the one who hovers over the creation. And that reminds me that, again, the work of the Holy Spirit is creative. Where there are things that were not, he makes things that are. That same creator spirit delights in renewing a people, recreating a people, And glorifying the Father as God's people continue to do those works of the Son. And you and I continue the work of Jesus when we rely on the Holy Spirit. And so I want us to think for just a minute about how that happens. When you look at verse 17, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth. 
which the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor does it know him. But then Jesus says that they will know him by they, the disciples. They will know him because he will dwell with them and he'll be in them. And the renewal of the Holy Spirit then involves action, but it also involves contemplation. Let's not miss that. The work of the Holy Spirit involves action and it involves contemplation. It begins with beholding God, gazing on God in a life that sets the day and the everyday moments into a life of prayer. And so learning to have elements of thanksgiving and scripture reading, confession, supplication, those are the things that should frame our days and give space for the Holy Spirit to speak into the mundane parts of our lives or even the frustrating parts. I love what St. Paul says when we read Romans 8, 26. He says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Is that true for you? It's true for me. But the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. So besides the daily office, the the daily prayer uh, rule in the book of common prayer, sometimes it's good to also include things like uh, moments of quiet that are built into the day where you can pray just a simple prayer like, Holy Spirit, come. I found myself doing this this week in moments that were very chaotic. So the Holy Spirit, come. And it actually reframed the moment for me. Prayers like, Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then just take those moments. And after you pray that prayer, let those moments hang with just a few minutes of quiet, if possible. Those short prayers that are punctuated by our choice not to speak give opportunity for communion with the Holy Spirit as he intercedes for us. And so I find that when I'm better at building that rhythm into my life, I'm way more healthy. I don't know how many of you have had a chance to do that as well. When I'm keeping that kind of rhythm, the reason why I'm healthy is because I can actually see the needs of those who are around me and I can actually begin to discern what my true needs are. It allows me to enter into hard relational spaces with people uh, with a disposition of love and of confidence rather than a a disposition of fear and insecurity. And a life of contemplation then brings us into a closer communion with the Holy Spirit who speaks to us through the scriptures, through the communion of the saints and in the ordinariness of everyday living. And out of that life of contemplation comes a life of action. Um, and appropriate responsiveness rather than just having reaction or inappropriate action. It gives us responsiveness and appropriate action. And I was thinking about this. So social media, well, social media is a really great tool, right? I have to use it all the time for our advertising. So I get it. Um, Also, I like to post pics of my personal life Uh, and I like social media, but one of the dangers is that it can start to eat up contemplation time. And I know this is true for me. Maybe it's only me. Um, But those moments where I might otherwise let my brain rest uh, and let my soul contemplate, I'm often opening up Instagram. I don't have TikTok, but I can imagine myself if I did, opening up TikTok or Twitter, Facebook, scrolling through those feeds to see if I can find anything interesting going on in the world. And when you think about the areas of your life that we give intention to, I was thinking we've learned how to give intention to TV. We know it's been around long enough that we know how to say, I'm only going to watch TV these times of day um, and and only for this amount of time. Um, 
But we don't yet have similar rhythms and intentions built into the use of smartphones and social media. Maybe there's hope for the next generation, um, but we don't do it quite yet. And social media then often sets up these echo chambers that amplify only particular issues for us as we scroll through our feeds and create curated algorithms. And they whip people up into a frenzy, but they don't give them resolution. Or it can get people really excited about something, uh, and, it, and it doesn't help them think through why they're excited about something, only that they know a lot of other people are. And the results can then be anger with no appropriate outlet, or way too many outlets to actually discern which is the right outlet to, to um, let out that anger. Or another result can be an incorrect view of the good life. Oh, I thought your life was great. I've seen on Instagram how wonderful it is. Right? We are really good at curating the best parts of our existence. And, and so I want to take just another example of this, thinking of the concept of justice, which in the Catholic Church is one of the four cardinal virtues, um, along with prudence and temperance and fortitude. And as a virtue, it finds its source in the life of the Trinity. Justice does. Um, those who are filled with the Holy Spirit then ought to know and understand and deeply resonate with justice more than those who don't have the Holy Spirit But I wonder if the ways that we struggle to prioritize justice or to understand or appreciate it um, are not related to seeing God in the ways that we prioritize seeing God in contemplation. Now, I know there's a lot more to that. And even even thinking about the definition of justice has to come from a deep uh, life of contemplation with the Holy Spirit, the way that it's actualized and framed. So, um, but the point is that justice and other things like it need to come out of a deep life with the Holy Spirit. That's where the church grows in its uh, ability to address complex issues. And so in being filled with the Spirit, you and I are called to carry out the works of Jesus for this age. Like the apostles, you and I are called to bind up the darkness while loosing people from the power of it. And we enter into people's lives incarnationally. We step into it in real presence, pursuing Christ with them because they, they just like us, are broken people being restored by God's grace. And, and we speak hard things to those who need to be shaken out of their sin uh, and out of their comfort. We have to do that. We need to encourage people who feel completely beaten down. And we need to care for the poor and give hope to those who don't have any. We need to call out systemic sins and destructive patterns of misbehavior. And we do it all with a listening disposition that seeks to understand more than to be understood. And these are all things that I just mentioned are all complicated. They're all complicated matters. They're growing in how complicated they are. And they can't be done then without the work of the Holy Spirit. Without contemplation on life with the Holy Spirit. So just as tools for me got larger and more complex as I got older, so the church also grows in its ability to address an ever more complex world by starting with contemplation on the life and the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, as I mentioned before, he's infinitely creative. And in his creativity, he is the one who is able to both create and order 
and also renew the chaos of our ever-growing complexities. And as those who are in Christ, then you and I are to carry on the ministry of the apostles in doing the works of Christ. Doing the works of Christ involves abiding in Christ, believing in Christ, and relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Oh God, you gave your Holy Spirit to your apostles. Give your faithful people what they ask for in their prayers, so that those you have given faith may also receive your peace. Through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.